Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to All Stats That We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the deflected handball goal of the podcast. I never thought I would be missing VAR, and I'm joined today by one of the two goalkeepers who were sat on the bench of the podcast, Dan Holsworth. We really need to make some signings. And finally, I'm joined by the Welsh winger who won man of the match of the podcast, those nerds at all stats that we will be raging, it's Jacob Stanbridge. How are you today, Jacob? Hey, Martin. Yeah, uh, not too bad, thank you. I've had a I've had a great weekend watching football in a variety of forms, and uh, yeah, looking forward to having this chat. And I'm glad you recognise me as Welsh because I am as Welsh as Dan James is, <laughs> aka a quarter. Yes, exactly. I've got t- I've got two questions for you, uh, for the for the room. Uh, firstly, which of the two substitute goalkeepers is Dan? Well, he would he would have to be the experienced head, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think. Oh. He, he, yeah, he would have to be. And ties to the northeast. Uh, yeah, he doesn't strike me much as a as a Chris Clarkson to me. He seems definitely more like the experienced pro on the bench. Yeah, I would agree. Carl Darlow is from I think he's from Northampton. He's not from the northeast. He just happened to play for Newcastle. Yeah, but you're not from Newcastle either. I'm not. I mean, my wife is, so you know, I do have some connection there. <laughs> well, there we are. Tenuous, you know, <laughs> gained in late life. <laughs> That will work. And what was your second question, Jacob? How are you, Martin? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, I've just finished um, a, a takeaway tea. Um, we've been a bit busy, so we didn't have time to cook anything. Just had a, a fake KFC, which I actually prefer to real KFC. I'm, I do not like KFC. It's just one of my little bugbears. Um, how about you, both of you two? What have you two eaten? I had a very disgraceful, dirty McDonald's, and I feel ashamed. Um, you shouldn't be. I'd like to point out we had a um, we had a really nice um, made a curry last night really homemade, really nice homemade curry homemade onion barges made loads of really nice Indian salads and stuff so you know I've cooked some good food and I've had disgraceful food today so balance as all yeah. things should be and how yeah. about you Jacob I attempted to make a turkey burger today hmm. and and it was nice but it was definitely the wrong shape and consistency that's fine homemade burgers it I, I think it was more like Republic of Ireland shaped. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. Okay, so we're here to talk about uh, the game against West Brom. But for, before we do, uh, it's a quick discussion on what's happened recently in the news. Not a right lot has happened. Um, but first of all, I've got a quick talk about Daniel Farker and his media handling because it's been quite enjoyed by most of the fan base, I think. And I think I'll, I'll come to Dan on this because he's the one who's generally in touch with the da of the fan base <laughs> who are generally quite pleased about Farker. So uh, what do you think to that, Dan? Um, I know a few Dars, Lee's Dars, a few old boys, and they are very impressed by him. I think he's he's shown his experience. He's been around, hasn't he? He's a good media performer. He knows, you know, knows the buttons to press, the kind of things that will get people on side. So I'm kind of impressed with him. You know, the, the politician in the man, the media performer in the man. I personally don't care about this stuff. I don't want him, you know, I don't care that he thinks Leeds are a special club. Because obviously, that's just for the fans. Everyone says that. Um, but credit to him for 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 performing the way he is and getting fans on side. It might help him. It might buy some time if results don't improve all that soon. So, fine. 
there is always that. Um, yeah. I per- per- personally, I've liked his honesty over the situation with transfers um, more than anything in the media. Um, but again, I'm same as you. I don't really care about the Leeds a special club and a big club, and we should do things uniquely and all that. that doesn't interest me either. Um, but yeah, on to uh, other news. Um, Tyler Adams has left to, to join Bournemouth. Um, that's, that'll, that'll be the second transfer that Bournemouth have had from under our notice. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure what you think to this one, Jacob. What do you think to Adams going to Bournemouth? Well, I think obviously Adams would have been a useful player for us in the Championship. Uh, like He's very good defensively and I think he's better on the ball than some people have ended up giving him credit for in the rush to discredit anybody who, who leaves leaves the, leaves the club. And obviously it's really good for us to get money in and particularly a transfer like this has actually left us with some PNS profit as well. So really good that we finally got some money for someone. I can't say I'll miss Adams immeasurably personally i liked him perfectly well enough but i think i think we've come out of this pretty well and and i'm really not also interested in giving time of day to like the discussion about loyalty with people saying that players have to be this faithful to a club that's half their wages over the summer yeah i'm pretty much largely the same as you there uh, it's not like he's been with us for a long time he's been with us for one season and he was in he was injured for a good chunk of that season as well um I, th- I think he is a good player, and I did enjoy his contributions to Leeds. Um, but we are, in my opinion, we've already replaced him with a player who is better in Ethan Ampadu. Um, we d- we don't need two players whose strongest attribute is uh, their ball winning, which I think is the case with both of them. Um, but I would say that Ethan's on on ball upside is probably just as good as his his, his off ball, really. So it's a good upgrade, in my opinion, to have in a possession based side. Uh, do you have anything to say on this one, Dan? Just largely agree with um, Jacob. I mean, I quite liked Tyler Adams. I thought he was quite good. Um, I think he might have suited the kind of right-sided defensive midfielder we're seeing, you know, the kind of covering the right-back. I think that would have suited him quite well. So you could have seen him working with Ampadu. But the the negative on that was if he stays fit, which, which obviously is a big question with him, but if had he stayed fit, it might have stunted uh, Archie Gray's uh, season, who, who's having a great time at the moment. So... You know, perhaps Hill's getting a lot of money for for Adams and investing that in different parts of the team, including a centre mid. I hope, but maybe that centre mid that comes in isn't quite as high profile, and you know is more droppable and can rotate with with Ampadu and Gray. So perhaps from a balanced perspective, and yeah, just keeping Gray engaged in the season. I just one other thing for me about the injury. Um, he's been out for a long time with his hamstring injury, and in some ways, I think that makes it a bit more of a risk to keep him than it might have done otherwise, because it, like even for hamstrings that require surgery it's been a long time yep and Bournemouth take on that risk by taking him he probably would have been fine but who's to say I mean that's the real reason they're selling that's the best reason it's taking that taking a big risk off the risk register then yeah I would agree with that too and that is plenty of talk on Tyler so we'll move on to the game summary for the West Brom game uh, Leeds persisted with the usual 4-2-3-1, um, with West Brom setting up in a 3-4-3 structure. Leeds had most of the ball in the first half, pressing West Brom effectively and forcing high turnovers, which Leeds didn't make the most of generally, with the best chance of the first half falling to Joe Kellehart when he wasn't able to convert a pass from Luke Ayling, sort of got his feet muddled up and it skewed off his feet really. And the first notable action of the second half was Melier saving an effort from Jed Wallace, which was headed for the top corner, which was a great save. And however, this was for naught as West Brom scored from the second of the two resulting corners, with Malumbi taking a shot, which deflected onto Thomas Asante's hand and trickled past the wrong footed Melier, making the score 1 0. Leeds up the tempo and had the majority of the ball for the second half with lots of territory around the opposition box. Dan James had a chance from close range, which he couldn't quite convert, so didn't quite strike it well. But he did have a well struck effort kept out, which was headed for the top corner shortly after this. Uh, Leeds continued to apply pressure, which bore fruit in the 72nd minute when Luke Ayling got on the end of a Dan James cross to bury a header, making the score 1-1. Leeds didn't have too many notable attempts following this and had to fight off a number of late set pieces from West Brom, courtesy of the long throw of Darnell Furlong. The game ended 1-1. So, as always, we'll run through the game with some questions in the interrogation and see what we all saw of it. So, first question. Uh, West Brom had very few chances on goal in the first half. They 
didn't have a shot actually in the first half. And per FBRF, they came out with only 0.3 XG from the entire game. Uh, Dan, what do you put this down to? Um, jury's out, but I feel like um, this was the best element of Leeds' game was the defence. I thought that Leeds put in a really, really, really good, strong defensive performance here. And that really shone through on the watch back second time. I came away from the game on Friday. I was at the game, happy with the defence and happy with Rodon. I thought the press was quite good and all that kind of stuff. But watching back, I was like, oh, this was really good, really well organised. I really like the way they kind of defended in, in, in packs and shifted and covered each other. So I just felt it was a really strong defensive performance. I don't think West Brom offered tons either, so hence my jury's out comment at the start. But I do think Leeds' uh, defensive performance was was good. Um, I'll start out with talking about the press. So they kind of had a four four two defensive shape. Quite, it was a fairly aggressive four four two kind of press. And I think it was pretty good in terms of it, it kind of stopped West Brom getting into too many dangerous areas. That was the first part. So... Touches in the attacking third, Leeds at 156 compared to West Brom. So pretty dominant from him. He's not total dominance, but pretty dominant. But so Leeds did quite a good job of letting the centre-halves have the ball and then jumping onto West Brom when the got, ball got into midfield. I think they really isolated um, Yikusulu, I haven't said his name, the midfielders, Mullumby and... Um, who's the other midfielder? Remind me. Yakuzlu. Yakuzlu, there we are. That's it. Thank you. Thanks for rescuing me there. So I thought we were really good at getting turners off those guys and kind of turning them back. And turning the ball around, and you know, and, and getting on the fullbacks and pushing them. So, I felt from a press perspective, it was really good. And this is reflected in that, um, in terms of the dangerous areas. So, touches in the opposition box, West Brom had nine, Leeds had twenty-five. Touches in zone fourteen, which is that dangerous area just outside the penalty box in the central area, seventeen for Leeds, zero for West Brom. Touches in the half space, so the area is just downside of either either box. 26 to Leeds, 6 to West Brom. So we really limited them. We really stopped them getting into dangerous areas. They could get up to the third, but then what happened when they got into the final third to, to kind of kill that kill that, kill that that game? And one thing I thought was really good um, was the, the back four spacing and the back four covering and the way the back four moved and covered for each other. And also the, the midfield four, the effective midfield four of Ampadu Gray, uh, Shackleton and James. I thought they all did a really good job of kind of filling in, complementing each other. I felt, the defence was much clearer. So if you think back to the Cardiff game, particularly they got one of the goals, I think you saw Strike and Cooper charging at the ball across the box. There was a similar situation where West Brom got down the outside of Ailing at one point and went to put a crossing. And and they all kind of held position quite nicely. Like it's like Rodon held right centre back, Strike held his position, Ailing covered round and, and and we got challenges and we blocked them off. So the cross came across but we got blocks in. So it just felt like defensive spacing was really good, really strong. Um and, and they got a lot of help and a lot of protection from quite a busy front, uh, midfield four, I thought. So, yeah, it was just a really nice nice to see Leeds defend well because it's been a long time. Um, so that's what I'm putting it down to mostly. Um, yeah. No, that's very comprehensive. And I don't really have too much to add to that. That was very detailed and mm. I like that. Um, one, thing, one thing I will add is that I felt that the cover which Jamie Shackleton gave to Luke Ayling was particularly helpful. He was yep. often coming back really deep with, with him to yep. help defend, make sure he's covering spaces and things like that. And we know that Ayling has been a weakness for us um, defensively. So that is something which helps as well, I think. Yeah, I'd like to point out on that. The, so the first goal against Cardiff, we saw that it was um, Ayling came charging out, chasing after the, the attacking mid, um, forget Ramsey, I think it was, for Cardiff. And then the, the wing-back went charging past, didn't he, and put a great cross in. We had a similar situation in this game, I noticed, not, I can't remember when, and Ayling realised and adjusted and got back into shape and passed him on and Shackleton picked up the man he was going to follow. So there was obviously the communication was miles better in this pretty similar situation to Cardiff and it came to not a lot. I mean, Phillips got a cross and got a cross in, but everybody's in a better position and we defended it well. So it just felt like everybody was talking in the communication and there was less panic. So it feels a bit like they've been drilled defensively and they were they were way calmer, they were way better position. They, were, they, knew, they all knew the roles really clearly. And yeah, just I was just really happy with that element of the game. Another thing is, like winning the duels, they were quite physically dominant, I think, Leeds over West Brom. Um I think Ailing and Byram did a really good job on the defensive duels when they when it came I mean Ailing had the battle on his hands with Phillips, but I thought Byron was really dominant against uh, Jed Wallace. He was a player I was fearful of, you know, a good player. But I thought Byron kind of dominated the guy. I thought, you know, uh Mez and um not Mez, he's a, he's a goalkeeper. Uh, Pascal and um and Rodon were pretty physically dominant. So I just thought there was a lot of dominance physically and but 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 structurally it was really good as well. So yeah, really happy with the defence. Hope it continues. If I may just quickly throw in as well, like particularly um on Dan James's side, but 
I think we were generally able to restrict how much the wing backs were able to really affect yeah. the play. Like, I guess particularly with Furlong being booked so early and mm. having having yeah. the biggest weapon that in Dan James's Arsenal being his pace. But I mean, on the other side as well, with Ailing's aggressive positioning, we we were able to sort of really take them out of the game and not having the width in in a system like that. I think really puts them puts a much more difficult task in front of West Brom. I would definitely agree with that. Um, we had we put we really limited West Brom to very few chances, and in all honesty, they didn't deserve to score. That was an incredible stroke of luck for them, which wouldn't have stood if we was in the Premier League last season. That definitely would have been shocked off. But yeah, we'll move on to the next question. I want to talk quickly about our chance creation. Um, by XG, this was better than the Birmingham game. Um, we put up, uh, I think it was one point. Four or one point five xG, which is considerably better than the I think I think off the top of my head not point four that we had against Birmingham. And what would you put this down to? Um, we'll come to you, Jacob. I think there's a couple of factors um, which overlap with some of the stuff that Dan was talking about. Uh, not only was the press like good at impacting West Brom's ability to get forward and create chances, but it was also at times a really good creator of moments for us as well. And then also, I particularly want to draw attention to how I don't think their shape really helped them ultimately. Down the flanks in that space between the wing-backs and the centre-backs, I found there was often times that we could really get into those channels and, and get quite a lot of joy. And like There were times when, it, particularly again with Dan James, I don't know whether who was sure whether they should have been marking him and ended up then having quite a lot of bodies on him. And then that could create space in other areas as well. Not always that we could end up exploiting perfectly, particularly with... Again, a difficult performance up front for Ruta, who we'll talk about potentially later on. But yeah, I think I think things like that were particularly useful for us, and and as well, maybe the front four had a had a better balance to it, even though even even though again, it's not all the profiles you necessarily want in there. I think people were more more clear of their jobs, and and they worked better together. No, that's that's one thing which I noted most was um, there was more cohesion in the attacking lineup against Birmingham. There was quite often people who were making runs and they weren't being spotted and sort of being passed in the wrong direction, and you didn't really see that. It was quite often seems everyone was on the same wavelength and knew where people were going to be running to and when, so it really did help to make it gel a bit. And I also felt that we had more um, impetus on the right side. I think um, there still wasn't as much as what there was on the left side because um, Dan James was in, in really good form in the game, which meant we did funnel it over to the left more often. But there were moments where chances were created through, through the right as well. Um, quite early, early, I think about 15, 20 minutes into the game, uh, Jamie Shackleton created a chance, for, I think it was in a transitional moment, and he got, got the ball into the box and a, sh- a shot got off by Joffe. Um, so yeah, there were, there were some good, good things on the right, not as good as the left, of course. But I think it just was overall, overall just more cohesive, and West Brom did struggle with, like you said, our press. And I, f- I felt that Archie Gray was very good in nipping into the heels of the midfielders, and he won possession a few times in that way, which was really good. And it did help us create those chances easier since we're winning them in those awkward moments where you're in the middle of their transition to attack. So, yeah, that that was some good stuff, and I'm very pleased by it. How about you, Dan? Yeah. Generally okay. I mean, I think the the best chances came from kind of transitional moments, didn't they? And winning the ball and, and going hard at them, um, or the better ones had. So I'd like to see a little bit more. I, I sometimes felt Joffrey and Shackleton were a little bit of block on creative moments. There's a couple of occasions where it got to Joffrey, got to, to Shackleton, and you want, you're looking for them to turn and drive into space or lay it off, and they weren't quite able to do that very smoothly. You know that that you know better quality players, I guess, could uh, could 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 make something of those moments but generally speaking yeah I like the balance as you said I think it was nice I think people knew the roles there were generally good passing options um yeah just some occasionally a bit of a lack of presence in the box again which you know we can talk about later on but generally speaking fairly fairly good and I think it's obvious to see how a couple of different profile players make lift that again I don't think it's a massive systematic issue I think it's more player profile would lift that and probably get us the win there as well you know that was absolutely my takeaway out of it as well. Like just certain other players, even even like Somerville back makes a substantial yeah. difference. I think to that. Yeah, yeah. Somerville back, a centre forward on the last line. Two, those two things. Away we go. <laughs> yeah, well, we might as well 
quickly move on to um, Ruta because we had a few questions about him again. Um, we did we did cover him last week, so I just wanted to make this a quick chat and some of the things about that what I noticed that he was doing in this game. And obviously, this is the first league start that he's had for us. Um, last season, he started in the cup, but it's the first time he started in the league. And yeah, there were, there were some things that he was doing which weren't weren't great. Sometimes his touches were a bit a bit loose, which was causing us to lose possession. Uh, he was trying to turn with the ball sometimes; it wasn't always effective. But there were some times where he was quite effective, and there was I think he was he was trying to hold a position on the last line quite often. I did a little, little thread about this on my Twitter, and he was trying trying to hold a position up there, but the ball wasn't getting to him fast enough, and it, that meant that he was dropping deeper or more most often to, to wide areas and that was frustrating um because i know this i think this is something which will come with time with him um he probably won't get too much more chances to play as a striker because i would expect that we are bringing in a striker so this this experiment with him up, up front may not see the light of day for too much longer but i do think that it is something that he can learn with time he's come from the Bundesliga, which is a pretty transition-heavy league in general, which so he's used to the ball getting to him quickly, and when the ball does get to him, he's got space to move into, and that just isn't what he's going to get in this current team in in this league with us because we're one of the most dominant sides in the league. Well, we sh- we are generally, and that will mean that he's always in congested areas, and the ball will get to him slower as well. So he just needs more time to develop how to play in a professional style. Uh, Dan, did you have something to say here? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like he lacks a little bit of um, discipline. It's like he got bored, wasn't it? There's a couple, I think you, one of the videos you put on Twitter, actually, it just showed him kind of holding position, holding position, holding position. He's like, oh, balls, and he's run off to the touchline like, because he's got bored, and you know, and that, that's the feeling I get with the guy. I, I think... I mean, I've said before, I think he could possibly potentially, you know, make it as a number nine eventually. But he's, he's, judging by that performance, he's a miles off a of number nine, um, I would say. I mean, I think he's got some of the raw attributes, doesn't he? He wins like quite a few aerial battles, doesn't he? And sometimes he wins his duels, and you know, sometimes he gets he can get decent shots away. I've seen him do that as well. Um, but yeah, he's not. He's nowhere near now. So I'd rather see him in the ten or the wide because you can you can get the ball in transitional moments. Um, and, and, and drive and he can do the things that I was frustrated Joffy wasn't doing I think he would try them he would turn and try and drive at people it might it might not come off every time but I think he would he would perhaps be a little bit better than Joffy was in that 10 so that's why I'd move him straight away and that's really where we've seen the joy from him so far isn't it like again Accrington um, pre-season against Manchester United games like this where he, he, he was able to do that and even even last night last night uh, on Friday night he like I felt like he looked his most happy, even though he was doing some useful stuff, as Martin said, up top. But he looked his most happy to me in moments where he got on the ball deeper and wider. So I agree completely. Yeah, I'd also agree with that. And I think it's also a point that when he was dropping deeper and wider, there was no one looking to occupy the space that he was leaving behind. And that should be something which uh, he's communicating with Joffe. Just quick note, just to swap over, just, just Something as quick, as quick as that, just so we can um, get into that, into that last line. So there is someone who is making those runs beyond. And since both that those players like to drop deeper, um, it's, it could be something which is shared between them. In the meantime, in the interim, until we do get a proper last line striker in, in, because surely that's got to be something which is coming. I mean, if they're going to keep Rutter at ten, uh, at nine, they're going to need to get a ten that like a Deli Ali type ten, aren't they? It's almost another striker that kind of drives past them. That's that'll be one way of doing it. Get a real nine, but you know, it's it's one it's one solution they could could go with. Yep, yeah, I agree. And next question: uh, There were some gripes about our early stage build up, especially with the way that Melier was distributing the ball. Um, we'll come to Jacob first on this. What do you think to this? In the rewatch, I especially noticed that the first couple of times that Melier was getting booed, that the West Brom like forward line were putting pressure on quite well to our various options that were available shorter. And so, yeah, he was he was making making a decision to t- take a bit longer, let West Brom get set, but not risk turning the ball over in a high space. And and I would rather he did that if, it, if he judged it to be a risk. I agree with you there, Jacob. And, but there were some times when I think the fans need to acknowledge that it's going to be different in this style of play. Uh, in a possession-based system, there are going to be moments where the goalkeeper does hold onto the ball a, a little bit longer. It's because you that's what you want from your goalkeeper to do. You don't want to just blindly hoof it forward and get it in, maybe get it in someone, but more, more likely lose the ball. And that's not what 
Fark wants, wants his goalkeepers to do. He, that's not something we've really seen from Melier in the past. He generally has been quite quick to dispute when he when he needs to, and especially under Marsh last season, there was no hesitance in getting it forward then because that's what Marsh wanted. He wanted direct play. He wanted to, to, get, to make the most of those transitional moments all the time. But that's not what we're going to see, and it will frustrate fans. But it's something that I think that they will they will get used to as it goes on. I do think that some of his distribution was a little bit poor, but the, what I'm talking about here is the balls over twirling. That was quite often our only out ball. Was twirling the only place where there was a bit of aerial mismatch was with Ailing and Matt Phillips. So I think they was trying he was trying that, and it was a difficult pass to make, and that was where he was getting it wrong sometimes. But no goalkeeper's perfect with passing; otherwise, he'll, he'll probably be an outfield player. <laughs> and if you want, if you want to lose possession, better to get them a throw on the halfway line than. Yeah, get the ball turned over with a set of half in it. Exactly, exactly. Anything that you want to add on this, Dan? No, I mean, the, the fan base in the Gret, I was there, they were getting grumpy with him, particularly in injury time. A couple of times he got the ball, and it looked to be an opportunity for him to throw the ball out quickly, but on the watch back, um, Ailing, he was the man that was free in that particular situation. I think it was actually, there was a player charging over to cover him. So I'm basically, I was happy with Melier's decision-making. I think he generally got the his decisions right. He didn't always get his execution right, and I think the fans are basically wrong and they just need to learn to be like, you know, Fark's going to want the team to be patient and they're going to have to learn that. So I agree with there that. There you are. Yeah. I agree with that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Next, I want to talk a bit about Jamie Shack. He's not had a place at lead for some time, and I felt he had quite an interesting role in this game and in the game against Birmingham. Uh, what did you make to this role, Jacob? So, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Jamie Shackleton. I really enjoy watching him play, and I think he, like in general, links play very well. In these couple of games, particularly this, this game against West Brom, I thought it was a very interesting sort of see his interpretation of that, like, right-sided, more like inverted wide player role. And I think there's definitely some things where other people could look at that and take some stuff away from. And then obviously some deficiencies as well, as has already been slightly hinted at. He's very good at, and really demonstrated that in this game, plugging gaps and, and just appreciating space in general. A couple of times when Rutter dropped deep, he he did charge forward and tried to occupy that center forward space. Not really someone who's going to get on the end of crosses, and Rutter tried to cross at one point, but but just sort of recognizing that that space was there and the importance not only of occupying that space with someone, but also how that will manipulate the movement of the um, of the, of West Brom's players. And similarly, like with movements with Ailing, with with Gelhart, with Gray, he I think he quite really sort of intelligently was able to occupy good spaces to move players around, create space for others, and on the pitch. However, the problem then sort of becomes when he gets onto the ball. He's very good at linking play. He he was good at like getting it to Ailing, getting it to Gelhart, etc. But like Dan mentioned earlier, there's that sort of lack of that ability that you want from a forward player around like turning, getting a lot of sort of balls into the box, particularly more forward stuff on the ground, things like that. He had one sort of nice cross, low cross on the edge of the box early on, which came to Gelhart that you mentioned before, Martin. But like... Again, it's just sort of that that kind of stuff where when Farker had Norwich, he had Emi Buendia, who, I mean, absolutely excellent creative player. And and it's a very, very different kind of role for us. 
almost almost like the link player role where for Norwich the link player was the number 10 in, in with the various kind of players they had and I don't know whether we can at least with the other players in the forward line that we had in that game accommodate someone who can't really provide that element in in that line but I loved a lot of what he did out of possession. He was excellent, as you sort of talked about uh, already with covering Ailing and also helping like pressing traps onto Eric Peters. But I wonder whether ultimately we, we would be better, it would be a better use of him as an alternate for Archie Gray. Because, I mean, covering the right back position comes so naturally to him with his, his previous experience. And he's really good at just helping facilitate first phase build up. And so, uh, for, again, from all the stuff he would have done with Marcelo and, and stuff before. But a lot of good stuff to take away, particularly around how you create space, where you run, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. It was kind of a hybrid role that he had that he was playing. Like you mentioned, normally the right winger for a Fark side will be a more creative player, someone who will look to make incisive passing and will do some really good things on the ball with dribbles. Um, but I think the thing you have to take into account here is because he had Max Ahrens as a right back and he he was great at getting back because he had pace to his game. So you didn't have to worry about him defensively because he could get back in time and that is not something which Ailing can do. So I think this is maybe a temporary measure that we'll see and why he's gone, gone with Shackleton there. But equally, like you said, you could have put him in Archie Gray's role and swapped him over and Archie Gray, I think, maybe would have had more more of an impact on our attacking line. Um, what do you want to say there, Jacob? Only, only that the only possible counter to that thing about him being there for that reason is that we don't we didn't really have any other players. Like there's like there's no no real forwards we've had on the bench apart from uh, Eel, Sonny Perkins, or various players who've just been coming back from injury. So like I think there's also an element of sort of necessity there. I guess you could question whether like. Shackleton could have been next to Ampadu and Gray could have been one ahead and Joffe could have been on the right. But that's that's moving other people out of roles where they've already started the season quite well. So I reckon that that is an element of it as well. It's just like, I, he's the only guy I've got. No, that, that's a fair point. The interesting question is when Somerville's fit or if we buy a centre forward, does Somerville get that spot in front of Shackleton for that role or is the role different? Or does Ruter get that spot? Does he get moved out to the right wing, which a lot of people think he should do? And does that change things elsewhere? That, that's the interesting question. I don't have an answer for you at the moment. Um, obviously, I think recruitment drives a lot of those discussions. but And injuries as well. Well, of course, recruitment, yeah, availability, who we've got basically to pick from drives a lot of those questions. My my impression is that, that Somerville will get the gig, I think, if he's fit. That's that's that's, that's what I'm feeling. Um, but I don't know for certain. Um, and what does that mean for the right back? What does that mean for Archie Gray in terms of how they approach the game? Do they have to play a more cautious game because we've got someone like Somerville playing? He's got more output. Some of those a little bit closer to Wendy, isn't he, in terms of the kind of output he'll produce. I mean, do it in a different way, but you'll you'll give output, you know. So yeah, that's the that's the interesting question. I mean, on Shackleton, I'll just send a two penneth. Yeah, good game. Like I thought he played that kind of. It's basically a box to box eight, wasn't he? Really, a, a wide box to box eight. That's the game he played, mm. and I think that's 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 what he's good at. You know, his, his long term future is a box to box eight, or perhaps a right wing back. You know. Up and, and that's 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 what he's good for energy up and down I thought he got us up the pitch quite well didn't he, he combined and little combinations and progressed the ball really well and we had Ailing and Gray so it was quite a useful we, could, we got forward quite well on the, on the right didn't we just didn't get a lot of creativity in the last third yeah and he doesn't lose the ball very much he's, he's no, very good at keeping it yeah no no it's a good tidy tidy performance I was a bit like we should sell him in the summer and now I'm thinking no, actually there's a role for him in the squad keep him around he's, he's done alright you know he's, he's kind of come, he's pulled me around I was a little bit Shackleton sceptic actually more so than you Jacob and I don't know, you know, I didn't really see a lot of output from the guy, and I don't necessarily still do, but I think there's a role there for him in the squad. I, w- I would agree. I think there is definitely a role for yeah. him going forward. Um, he may, when we do recruit more heavily, I think there will be games where he'll miss out, but then there'll be other games where he'll come back in or he'll make an impact off the bench if maybe we need to change things up if we're in a winning game state when that ever will happen <laughs> we've not yeah. seen that yet this season yeah. but that could be something yeah. we should do if halfway through the game or a little or late on if we're needing to tidy things up and bring on someone different in the, in that role then that could be could be where he's used uh maybe a less creative option but a much more solid out of possession winger yeah. or, or midfielder yeah so there is definitely a role for him makes oh. me think of um when we played Stuart dallas on the wing uh, at the end of the first season in the premier league against brighton and spurs mm. just 
you know he's going to like fill the role to the best of his ability technically, and he'll do the role very well tactically. Yeah. Also, we all obviously agree that he's best as a central midfielder, Stuart Dallas, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <yeah. laughs> no. Oh, hang on. Dallas or Shackleton? Uh, Dallas. Oh, leave, leave. <laughs> I will just say that that was sarcasm, in case anyone did not get it. Stuart Dallas is a right back or a left back. That's where he's best used. Unless you want a transitional system, and then he does shine as a central midfielder because of how good he is at attacking the box from from deep. Much more a Premier League central midfielder than a championship one, as the evidence mm. pace at Leeds shows. Indeed, indeed. Um, against Man City, he was great as a central midfielder. We know that. Um, and next, we had a question from a friend of the pod, Ethan from online, who asked, what are the bits you liked or disliked from Joe Rodden's game? My only concern was that he was very aggro on the front foot at points, both with and without the ball. While it didn't really go wrong, if it does, it can leave the rest of the back line scrambling. Dan, we'll come to you on this. Yeah, I kind of when Ethan's question came in, I was like, I had the similar kind of thoughts really. Um, and I watched the game back this morning, and it kind of backed up what, what Ethan's asking. Really, I don't have any anything uh, anything new to say, but I've got some examples of how how it worked. So. What I think he did well, actually, I thought. Well, we've all seen the stats that he won. He took part in ten duels and won them all. I think. I think the stats that was bouncing around. I can't remember. Johnny, Johnny Cooper or someone on Twitter put them around. Whatever. The, basically, I thought in terms of his defensive fundamentals, when he went into a challenge, he won it. Whether that be in the air or on the ground, I, mean, I really like that. So I think he's gonna he's gonna win his duels. Um, so that's really nice. Um, I thought his defensive positioning was good. Yes, he was aggressive, but I don't think he was overly aggressive in terms of defensive. Uh, you know, he'd go and win a header, but it wasn't kind of gung-ho craziness. I mean, the gung-ho stuff came on the ball, actually, in ball carrying, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and I really liked um, how he holds position. I think his positioning is really good. I thought he dovetail really nicely with Pascal. There would be occasions where Pascal would just kind of drive out with the ball and he would just hold position quite nicely. And and and, vice, and, and there's a couple of times he stepped out and Pascal covered him quite well, actually. I, I felt like they got a bit of a bit of a combo going straight away there. I like that. Um, Pascal probably took a little bit more responsibility for ball progression, particularly second half when we were dominating, but it wasn't that, that Rodon wasn't dump, uh, distributing the ball and he was pretty good at it. Um, yeah, so so defensively and that kind of stuff was really good. And like I said this earlier about the defensive, the general defensive game, like when Leeds got broken a few times and he was getting back into position, he looked really calm and he seemed to make the right decision about his position. Like, you know, they were getting balls across the box and he was defending his near post and, and then he was leaving Pascal to pick the far runner up. You know, if the ball was coming from his side or vice versa, if Pascal was going for someone, he was covering the gap, covering his fullback. So I just, yeah, I think in terms of old school defensive fundamentals, I think they're there and I think he's going to be good and I think he's going to make us better for that. So that's good. Um, in terms of the the aggro stuff, I think it, it kind of manifests on the ball. So for the most part, he's passing quite sensibly, isn't he? He's just playing out to his fullback across to Pascal into Ampadu and it's pretty good. It's it's fine. And for the most part, he's just playing sensible, safe safe balls and that's that's fine. We've got we've got Pascal on the left side. Uh, we've got fullbacks. We've got Ampadu picks the ball up. So ball progression generally is taken care of, and he does an okay job. Um, I noticed he tried a couple of long balls, and they didn't come off. So I've got a feeling it's one to watch this. And I'm not saying definitively. I'm not sure he's a good long passer. Um, there was like a chipped one to halfway that went wrong. There was a long diagonal, and it just didn't didn't have quite the same shape that like you see from Pascal or from even Lane Cooper when he plays. So I wonder if he's not a good long passer and. And there was, there was one particular occasion when he received the ball and he ended up having to pass it square, I think, over to Ampadu or Pascal. Safe. And and he was annoyed with himself. He like he like he was like he berated himself. Now I wonder if he felt he'd missed an opportunity to play a good through ball. So I wonder if there's like a he wants to be aggressive and he wants to impact the game with the ball, and that's what kind of forces him into kind of being really aggressive and doing these kind of aggressive drives and runs with the ball. And that's when he kind of got caught out a little bit, didn't he? When he when he drove with the ball and he took it a step too far sometimes. I thought, you know, he'd, he'd beat, he'd beat the, the, the initial press, then he should lay it on and, pull it, and he'd try and go again and then lose the ball and we're all out of shape. So I kind of feel the gun honus comes from ball carrying. And actually it came off a few times because he's good in duels, isn't he? He's strong, he's fast, he's a good athlete. Um, so he, he got through a few times, but there's going to be a couple of occasions in most games where he gives the ball away. So I just think it's something to watch for. Um, as kind of Ethan hinted at in the question. I think uh, it might be something where people set uh, people, the opposition team set pressing traps and try and let him carry it and then go at him and try and win it off him. That could be something that that is targeted. So, but overall, like the guy, I think he's a good buy. Oh, good buy, good loan. Um, I think he'll work with. <laughs> yeah, I think I wish it was a buy. Actually, I, I think he'll work with Pascal. I think he's 
is a good age profile. I think he's a good athlete. Um, he's quite agile, probably more agile than Pascal. Turns and covers space behind quite well for a big guy. He turns quite well actually. It's not super quick, but he got he covers covers the ground pretty well. So yeah, basically happy with slight caveats, and I hope perhaps in time that maybe you know not debut. It's not trying to impress too much in the future. Maybe it just calms down a bit, and we see less of those aggro carries unless it's really on. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think there's anything which really had me going, oh, what are you doing, Roland? It wasn't at the moment where I was thinking that. I think some of the times when he was carrying the ball, that was so he didn't have to, was forced to pass it long when there wasn't a pass on. Because there was one, I think the the first carry that he attempted of the game, where he was passed out the ball um, to, by Melier, and he looked around and there was no pass on. There was, there was no one who was dropping deeper to give him that option. So he just charged along along to the right side and ran up and then played it nicely inside. So yeah, there, there were those good moments. Uh, there was one moment where he, he could very easily have gone wrong, but he just managed to get the pass away, where he, I think it was more of a central drive that time. And I am generally happy with uh, centre-back doing those kind of actions because it helps to break lines apart, break through pressing traps. It's something which has been a thorn in our side for some time. Um, even on the, going back to Bielsa's times, um, a marauding centre back haunts us. Uh, it does indeed. I mean, the other thing is, it, it is obviously it was his debut. He's had what a week training. Like it's, mm. when he when he sets off, the players in front of him probably aren't aware of his triggers. Like, do I go now? Will he release it? So he's probably setting off, beating his first man, and no one's running. Whereas next week, people might think, you know, the Joffy might know to right now I run. Now, now I make this run. He's looking for this pass. So there might be better options in future. You know, there's an element of that as well involved. And another thing. He did occasionally play a couple of suicide balls, you know, playing balls into midfielders when they were quite heavily marked. That's another thing, I think, you know, maybe just a slight rush of blood. So another thing to watch out for. It didn't didn't particularly hurt us, hurt us the other day, but I think it's the kind, kind of thing that could do. So I, I think he potentially has a slight rush of blood, but I think there are things the team can do to mitigate that. Um, you know, there's a slight, yep. a slight rush of blood element to his game, uh, but I think there are teams of things the team can do to mitigate that and, you know, give him more options for a start, uh, understand his triggers and, you know, and, and perhaps just... Whoever's at right back or centre back, just just be aware of when he's gonna, when he's going to make a move and cover him as best he yeah, can. I agree with that, and it also needs to be taken into account that this is actually his first start since last season, even because he wasn't involved in Spurs preseason at all. So he right. hasn't he hasn't had any games to really get back yeah. to, to, to fitness. I know he he looked fit enough to me. He he was still looked good. He wasn't um, huffing late in the game. So, But yeah, that's something to take into account that these sort of things will come and he'll get more fluid with the way the other players play. The more he play, plays in training. It's a good it's a good build for a modern centre-back, isn't it? Because it's a big unit, but it's not it's not massively bulky, is he? It doesn't feel like he's carrying a ton of weight that sometimes I feel Pascal is. You know, I don't mean he's overweight like he's eating the pies. It's just is a is a is a beef he's a beefy man, isn't he, Pascal? Whereas Rodon's kind of a look like a more of a long lean kind of you know muscular build. So he's probably the ideal kind of you know he's six three six four, but he's not carrying tons of weight. No, I would agree with that. Are you going to open a genetics laboratory soon, Dan? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's my future. Get some Rodon in there. Get some Rodon in there. Yeah, absolutely. Get the good genes. <laughs> indeed they are indeed they are and speaking of Welsh genes uh, next we are going to talk about Dan James who was our man, man of the match he had the most chances created most XG created most progressive passes and was also fouled the most um, so he had a very effective game uh, why do you think he was so effective in this game Jacob? So I, I do want to declare that I am a card carrying Dan James hater but uh, I even that aside, yeah. There's a lot of credit to give him for the, for this game. I think like a massive thing about that was I felt like he, he played his game just a bit simpler today. He like sometimes I th- and I think he can particularly be prone to this on the left side, which is why I've been such a vocal proponent generally of trying to keep him on the right. But like, there's a tendency on the left for him to to like overcomplicate his game and tr- and try and try and do too much too intricate but today it felt like he was good at just like making use of his uh, his speed getting involved in like give and goes and and at points even doing things like using himself as almost like a blunt instrument and i could because he was like really heavily marked at times and it was just a case of in those moments when you've got like multiple bodies around you like he's he's never going to be the kind of player who's going to be able to get through them with with footwork but but he can just like 
yeah, I've got this bursts of, bursts of acceleration. I can do those, and that will be my way to escape you. And, and I think that we saw that at times. And also, he, I think he did very well to sort of exploit that, what I was talking about earlier, that space in between Furlong and Semir J, where, like, with that, with with only having the the like the wing backs and then like the sort of like quite inside forwards that West Brom had like you weren't seeing too much of Jed Wallace necessarily picking up Byram all the time and so then does Furlong need to worry about Byram and and James I think really exploited that space excellently and got him behind quite a lot and then his deliveries got better his deliveries definitely improved there were, there were moments I liked off both feet and obviously p- particularly for the assist. I think we've seen that cross be an assist for him before from the left-hand side. And I think he waits waits it to that part of the box quite well. So like, We can see that the bad examples like with, with how he was trying to get the ball to Gelhart in, in the previous game. But but I, th- I think into sort of like deep, deeper spaces in the box for, for Ailing, and then there was another one not long afterwards, he, he, he can really hit that with, with a good height and a good, good level, amount of precision. So he did very well for that. And yeah, those are sort of the the main things. I think yeah, the 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 key point about that is I think he kept it more simple, and that's always going to benefit him because he doesn't have everything in his locker. Nope, I would agree with all that. He really did have have a great game, and it's that I'm also not a fan of Dan James. I think most members of this pod aren't fans of it of his. Um, obviously, he does always try hard, but most of the time we've seen that the execution hasn't been there but and in this game he had the execution and he had the effort to go into it and I think also another thing which helped him a lot was um, Sam Byram I felt that he had a very good game Um, he was just really good in all aspects that you want a fullback to be he was winning his duels he was passing well. He he was being quite progressive as well. There were f- quite a few decent incisive passes which he made, and that also helps when you've got a fullback who is assisting your winger in the right way, and that is great to see. So it's good that he's obviously not even a natural left back and is coming to it so quickly. Uh, Jacob, I think as well actually, just to build on that, there were some nice moments with Gelhart. And, and Gelhart really sort of flitted in and out of the game. He had some good moments and he had quite a lot of time where he wasn't really able to influence the game. But I can think of a few moments, like particularly particularly like in and around like the time he had that shot that was well saved in the second half, where like there were just like one touch link up plays between the two of them and and Joffy was able to to affect the game in in that respect and, and it benefited James quite a lot. Nope, I would agree with that too. He, he I think Elhart, although he did, wasn't overly impressive, there, were, there was some things to like about his game. Um, he actually had the second highest pass completion, which isn't something which you always generally relate to him. Um, he completed 21 of 23 passes. He had four progressive passes out of those and two key passes. So it, the stats maybe make him look a bit better than what, what I think he was. I think he was playing it safe a bit too too. Often, one of my criticisms of Joffe was it wasn't very safe. He was turning back and playing it back into centre mid or the fullback. Yeah. That's a slight criticism. I'd, I'd probably in that role, I'd be happier for him to be less accurate and take try a bit more on. I mean, this is kind of my point a bit before when I was saying about I'd like to see Rutter try that. I think Rutter would try things in that position, would turn and would lose it more than Joffe did, but would probably generate more as well. You know, so I think nah, but nah. that's my point. Just just to add on Dan James and my note says here, and this is. Backs up Jacob's point. I, I just thought he had a, he had real clarity about his game. And what I mean was, he get the ball and he knew straight away what he was doing. He didn't second guess. He wasn't. He was just going hard and direct at the, the touchline, wasn't he? And like sometimes we get frustrated. Dan James doesn't use his speed like he did this game, didn't he? He went right. I'm going, and he really went for it. And I just thought it just it just yeah, like you say, kept it simple. Was really clear. Knew what he wanted to do. When the ball was coming to him, I'm gonna I'm gonna tow it down there and go after it or whatever it was he was doing. And it kind of worked, didn't it? A lot of the time. So yeah. If that's a blueprint for a good Dan James game, then great. I'm happy. I'm happy to watch that Dan James because that was that was effective. With better technical players inside, it, it could be a useful weapon if he play, plays like that. Yeah. Right. And just to add on to that, um, yesterday I was at um, a blind football, and uh, I was so impressed by a wide forward who played for Italy, who although a very different build to Dan James, it was exactly the same thing. Like he he understood his like his physical ability so well. And really made the most of that to to get through players, and that's the thing, like you say, that we haven't always seen seen from him. And 
that that's a thing that can turn a player from someone that will just frustrate you all the time into someone who can really, really make a an impact with the ability that they have. That's, I mean, that's the Dan James that got everyone excited at Swansea, isn't it? That kind of just super direct. Yeah, it was. It's what attracted Bielsa to him. Um, so, yeah, I think most of us will agree that it was maybe too much to spend on the guy and that does get held yeah. over his head a fair bit. Um, definitely Manchester United had our pants down for yeah. that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's about all. Yeah, it's so long ago now that transfer fee. You've yeah. just got to take his skill set as part of the squad and work out how you best use it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we are getting that. We are making best use of him at the moment, so I hope this continues and he keeps having good games. But yeah, that is all the questions we have. Um, we're recording the Ipswich preview tomorrow night, um, so that will be out for Patreon subscribers late tomorrow night and will be released on Acast on Thursday. If you would like to sign up to support us or to benefit from the articles we have and early listening for the preview, you can find all the information at patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W Patreon. And finally, I'd like to thank Dan very much for coming on. You're welcome, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you too to Jacob. Cheers, Martin. Lovely to be on as always. Lovely to have you on too. And dear listener, thank you for joining us and see you next time. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.